I'll tell you what though, this was a brilliant weekend because on Sunday we managed to witness the grand finale of the International Barrier Whacking Championship and it just wasn't a 1v1 competition. It was a triple threat. Logan Sargent versus Lance Stroll versus Sergio Perez in a classic and that is entertainment. Yeah, there was also a little race called the Monaco GP going on where Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso put up a masterful drive to finish P1 and P2. But that just keeps on happening, no, Kunal? It's, it's normal stuff. Normal stuff. I mean, you know, when you look back in history and you read who finished first and second, you know, one would be like, yeah, but, you know, Max and uh, Fernando have been on the podium in, what, five out of the six races or at least if you were to make that combination. So... Why was the 2023 Monaco Grand Prix so different? If you know, you 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 wouldn't be faulted for asking that question. But the truth is, the way they got to the podium positions, Max in P1, Fernando in P2, is where the story and the narratives lie. And then let's not forget Esteban Ocon. You know, after all that Loro Rossi attack in Miami, I mean, they have got their best result of the season. Esteban on the podium, Alpine there, and and exciting. I mean, you know. Monaco was the most unpredictable race coming in, literally. Yeah. We didn't know how the Red Bulls would do. We didn't know how Aston Martins would do. Mercedes' upgrades, you know, the usual narratives. We all thought Saturday is going to be unpredictable. Sunday is going to be very predictable. But <laughs> it was so far away from all of that. It so was. And this is all that we're going to discuss on the Inside Line F1 podcast. This is our Monaco GP review. And we're going to be talking about this whole battle between Verstappen and Alonso. And what if Alonso had made the right call of going to the intermediates on his first stop? Well, that have changed things. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the crashes in Lance Stroll. Because seemingly, none of the commentators are interested in talking about him. But we're not going to let him go like that so easily on this episode. And also, more on all the other things. More on Yuki Sonoda and also so much more on the other drivers, including the Mercedes pair and just what really happened there. And yes, we're not going to let Carlos Sainz go past as well. So all of this and more is going to come up on our Monaco GP review. My name is Somal Arora. I'm the host of the Indian Racing League broadcast on Star Sports. And joining me as always is Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team and also an FIA accredited Formula 1 journalist for the Viaplay Network. And my question for this entire race is this, Kunal. Who is Esti Bestie? Literally, he's nobody's bestie. Not Fernando Alonso, not Max Verstappen, certainly not Pierre Gasly, and definitely not Otmar Safnauer. But Esti Bestie is the kind of silly, lazy kind of stuff that Otmar Safnauer would kind of come up with. Who is he? Who is Esti Bestie? I, I don't know. Maybe his girlfriend calls him that? Or <laughs> I, I, was, I was surprised. I mean, I, I was like, wow. He has just come and rattled off a nickname which almost nobody has used ever for him. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, like Fernando's called Nando and then there is Chile and there was Brittany and so many of these other names that, you know, Checo, for example, yeah. or Hulk. Nope, not that anybody calls him that. They all call him Nico. But, you know, when he said Esti Bestie, <laughs> I, I don't know if it was maybe, a you know, it was one of those... Uh, could it be one of the bets he had with a friend? Hey, I'm going to get the podium. They're like, yeah, if you get the podium, you're going to call yourself Esti Bestie. Could it be one of those things? You know, I don't know. But it was so heartening to see Esteban Ocon shine this weekend. I mean, 
qualifying less than two tenths away from pole. He was on provisional pole. He yeah. was at on pole at a moment when everybody thought, oh my God, if somebody bins it, it's Esteban Ocon on pole. And, you know, in all seriousness, drivers like him, teams like Alpine, need races like these to actually step out in front of the fans and say, you know what? We are actually really good as well in, in terms of execution, in terms of talent, in terms of speed. We sometimes just get hampered. Okay, we lots of times get hampered by just our package because we haven't developed. We don't have the same resources, sometimes not even the same money. So hats off or helmets off to Esteban Ocon for doing what he did and Alpine as well. And you know what that means, Kunal? It means that Otmar Safnauer is going to be surviving in his job for at least two more weeks. Because all the millions of heads at Alpine are finally going to let him go after that. It's beautiful. But the execution, the important point now is, especially for Alpine, that they are now ahead of McLaren in the Constructors' Championship. It's beautiful. At last, it's finally happening. But you're so right. I love the execution and how they nailed the Saturday. But for this, I really want to get back to the main battle of Verstappen versus Alonso because that is where execution was brilliant. I just want to go back to Saturday firstly because that qualifying session, Kunal, when so many people say that no, Monaco doesn't deserve to be on the Formula 1 calendar, I very gladly would like to point them out to this one. I know the races can be a little bit dull. Trust me, this weekend wasn't. But it's just that the cars are a little too big for the circuit. But nevertheless, given qualifying, given the gaps that we saw, it is just phenomenal. I think the driving challenge here, especially the way Max Verstappen is pushing and taking risks on Saturday, oof, A1 quality Formula 1 entertainment. You just said it. You know, to me, Monaco's always been the driver versus the circuit and then everybody else because the first thing you are battling always is the circuit. No runoff areas, almost no areas to make mistakes. You know, ask Logan Sargent, ask Lance Stroll, maybe... He was trying to find a runoff area because he tried to find it at least five <laughs> corners, I would think, this weekend. But, uh, you know, I, I loved qualifying. I mean, what I really was so, you know, what I was admiring about qualifying. And guys, we actually tried to do Twitter spaces, but we hadn't really put it in the calendar. So we couldn't talk about it. But there was Max Verstappen who knew that, hey, my car might not get me pole because I almost never optimized my car for single lap pace. So that was one question. Fernando Alonso, my car can get pole and I have to drive like an animal to get pole. But hey, you know, usually my car is better on the Sunday. These two drivers, you know, 20 years apart, is it or thereabouts? And different generations, literally overlapping generations, decided we're going to go hammer and tongs, come what may, in qualifying. And they did. You know, they were separated by eight hundredths of a second we have we've all seen those animations on social media and how close they were and max's line through the you know second half of the sector three etc etc so to me it just shows you know it, it was such a fantastic battle two different drivers two different eras two different cars same piece of tarmac few minutes apart from each other and you know maybe this is where otmar must be must have sat on saturday night and i'm i'm joking about it would have said, and you know, this is why I didn't want a 40-year-old. Look at that. He couldn't pull the 800s <laughs> that he needed to on a 20-year-old driver. Amazing. And you know, the gap at the very end, only 800s of a second. That is Formula 1. 
when two different competing car philosophies come up against each other, two different drivers, completely different ages, styles and everything. Oof, that was phenomenal. And the fact that Leclerc was just a couple of hundreds behind them. And then Esteban Ocon being just a little bit behind. This is what Formula 1 should be all about. But yeah, at the end of the day as well, I think the battle on Sunday as well was just about as good canal. But this brings me on to that error in judgment, if you could call it that way. I mean, what do you think about this whole kerfuffle that Aston Martin put themselves in? Because I feel that the bet was worth taking and they did take a bet, which is great. Because I really love the fact that they tried to go for the win, which is I, what I think they should really have done. But the fact that they went on the slicks, I thought they had the option to go longer because they had the hard compound tyres. So they could take an even bigger risk by staying out for a lap extra and then figuring it out about what happens eventually. So I'm a little disappointed in that sense. Not the intent. But just the final choice of what tyres they went on. Okay, before we move on to Aston Martin, not move on, but continue, I'm going to just take one step back because uh-huh. I'm, my mind is still on qualifying. You read out the gaps between the top three drivers, okay? Yeah. And here, here, to me, is the most incredible part. So in Monaco, we saw the smallest gap between P1 and and P19 in Q1. And I say P19 because Checo Perez had crashed in uh, and he was yeah. so he was not, he didn't have a representative time. And I'm going to read out the gap. It was 1.1 seconds between, you know, P1 to P19 wow. on the streets of Monaco. Okay. Wow. This includes rookies such as Sargent, Nick DeFries, et cetera, et cetera. Bahrain was actually 1.1 as well. Just that Bahrain was 1.18 whereas Monaco was 1.137. And this is just off the back of Miami, where the gap was 1.2 seconds, right? So that's that's just one data point to keep in mind. This is how close qualifying was. This is how close the cars are in performance, right? Now, coming to the top 10 in itself, you know, we you know the run, you, know, you guys know the result, but literally every driver till seventh place was less than a hundredth Oh, less than a tenth away from the driver ahead. So to give you an example, Leclerc was two hundredths away. Esteban Ocon was eight hundredths away. Uh, Carlos Sainz, seven hundredths away. Why am I reading out these gaps? Is that's how close it was, Samuel? I mean, you know, one, you know, one slight delay in getting onto the throttle or carrying in more speed or braking a little early and you could have been P2 or P8 or P12 because as it goes along, you you will see even in Q2, Oscar Piastri missed Q3 by 0.018 of a second. Okay. Logan Sargent missed Q2 by 0.059 of a second. Now, everybody who's listened to us before, I have never really gone into such depth and details of all the data, you know, we sent Trent to pull out. But I realized that this just gives us a perspective on how close the competition was on Saturday, right? So I'm going to park that aside. Now I'm going to move to your point of Aston Martin. Very interestingly, Aston Martin turned around and Mike Crack said, guys, we read the weather wrong. Our radar told us that it's not going to rain. It's not going to rain as hard. So we decided to say, let's just put on another set of the hard tire and go because we'll figure out what happens next. Oh, sorry, he took the medium because they said that the hard would have been tougher to be on uh, and that's why they took the medium in, in the interchanging conditions. And let's remember, just one third of the track was wet at that time, like George Russell also pointed out. Now, here's the fun part. Okay, 
even P2 in the race had such a cushion to P3 that they could pit with the wrong tire, come back, pit again, take the right tire and still come out P2. I mean, typically we speak of P1 having such a margin to P2 in you know conditions like these, but P1 and P2 had such a strong margin that you know they could pit when they wanted, pit again if they needed and still come out and hold position. And funnily enough, my crack also said, you know, Fernando has a lot of experience in driving his endurance races where he's taken slicks on a wet track and he survived. So we thought, why not just give him a slick? I hope he was joking. But either way, it was it was great to just see them try so many different things to try and beat Max Verstappen and get Mission 33 accomplished. Yeah, if only, if only. But eventually, with all that's happened, Alonso was only 12 points off Sergio Perez. And that's what I really want to discuss right now, that even after such a stellar weekend, it's only that that's the gap. And it's amazing how fragile this championship is, Kunal, because one bad weekend for Sergio Perez, and he's that far off right now. It's just the worst place to make a mistake because any other track, right? You could maybe recover to, let's say, somewhere around P5, P4, thereabouts. The Red Bull Racing car is that good. But here over there at Monaco, Sergio had to make so many bold moves, some incredibly stupid ones as well, it seemed. And still, the best that you could get is just someplace outside the points. It's it's so, so amazing what kind of challenge this race preserves, not preserves, presents to you uh, in front. And... That is such an incredible part to me that so many drivers here were just whacking everyone. There was just a proper competition going on to try to <laughs> whack the barrier. There was Logan Sargent who was trying his very best. And then, large troll, Kunal. Large troll. Why are we not talking about him again? I think maybe my account has probably got some money from the strolls to not talk about Lance Stroll, taking a stroll back to the pits, being the only driver who strolled back to the pits. <laughs> but, but wait, wait. Lance Troll, very interestingly, I, I mean, I don't know what's so interesting. You know, there's always this question, is he holding Aston Martin back? The truth is, Mercedes is, what, one point away from P2 in the Constructors' Championship because Alonso has done all the heavy lifting. Lance Troll has scored in only 50% of the races that have been held this season, out of which just one was a retirement. And the funny thing is, he actually just turned around and said, in Barcelona, I aim to get into the points. Okay. Well, with that Aston Martin, points are an obvious. Can you try and get to the podium? Because that's what Fernando is definitely trying to do every weekend and getting there. But yeah, it was just amateurish stuff from Lance Stroll. Uh, I can understand Logan Sargent, for example, struggling because first time in a Formula One car in Monaco, in the wet, etc., etc. And that's different, you know. But Lance Stroll has done millions of miles in previous, you know, in private testing with Williams. And then, I don't know, how many races, how many ever races he's done. So, unacceptable stuff. But hey, if his father can accept it, who are we to stop? Because it's his father's money who's, you know, trying to sort of go off. And very interestingly, when when that happened, I was wondering, and guys, pardon me for being controversial here, but I was wondering, ah, is Lance really trying to get out of safety car? I'm not going to explain why I thought of that. (laughs) But it's funny you mentioned that. I had a friend of mine, a couple of them actually, who were just watching Formula 1 for the first time. And then I told them, there's this team called Aston Martin who has this incredible driver called Fernando Alonso that you have to support. And then they were like, bro, why is his teammate all the way back down there? 
how do you tell them seriously how do you tell them how do you justify what's happening and watching him drive somehow felt like anyone playing formula 1 the video game on the simulator for the first time at monaco where you're just trying so hard to keep it on the track but your skill <laughs> is so much worse than your ambition and quite clearly the only place that you could go is the barrier it's ridiculous how it worked out and i i find it amazing kunal i find it amazing i find it so intriguing that there were 18 of the best formula 1 drivers on sunday trying their absolute hardest driving the slowest that they could possibly do to make sure that the car was on the track feathering the throttle dicing their way around dancing through the track and then lance stroll and logan sargent just did what they did it's beautiful skill difference is a thing and you know what samuel we all know that sebastian fettel was in the paddock mm. Imagine if Aston Martin had Alonso and Vettel racing. Could they have been two and three oh, no. in a race where? Could they have been two and three in a race where Pacheco Perez was not, you know, there for podium positions, and almost literally nobody wanted third place. <laughs> let's let's discuss P three because Esteban Ocon, while he did a fantastic job, Alpine messed up in the pits. It was two seconds off, right when he sort of. Yep. uh he got you know held back and suddenly i was like oh my god that's it that's all that laura rossi needs to keep firing his missiles one more time towards otmar <laughs> safnauer and of course i have a soft corner for otmar for obvious reasons but then so that was esteban and we spoke of how p1 p2 had such a margin but imagine esteban ocon in p3 also had a margin that despite a 2 second delay in the pit stops he still came out ahead of carlos sainz when racing resumed after their round of pit stops so literally nobody wanted p3 and carlos sainz hit the barrier he couldn't really challenge for p3 and there was one more challenger for p3 who was in p3 but ended up using the escape route and that was george russell yeah yeah he had a shocker didn't he kunal i mean the rejoin was just sorry blatantly bad No, the region was blatantly George Russell. Let's face it, he's had a lot of on-track skirmishes in the last several races, several months. He's going through that bedding in period where, you know, you keep crashing, you keep hitting people and then suddenly you become very clean. We've seen a lot of other drivers do that. Maybe Charles Leclerc is still going through that whole procedure, but we're going to just leave it at that. Oh goodness, no! Don't put it that way. That that's a stinger. But it's it's terrible. I I really want to bring it back to Russell here for a second because they tried in with the upgrades so much of positivity around them wasn't it coming into the weekend that hey Mercedes have a new car and finally they have a base uh, they have a base platform on which they can build up to develop this car so well and Hamilton was saying oh this is going to be amazing Toto Wolff as always was saying that this is going to be amazing but remember when the moment of truth finally arrived Kunal on Saturday before qualifying Lewis Hamilton started off with his usual Oh no, I'm feeling a little nervous. This car is a bit too tricky to drive. I'm not well prepared and all that whatever he says. It's it's just back to reality, I think. And now I feel Mercedes are going to be good because Lewis Hamilton is complaining again. And I would say that in general, Mercedes realize, "Oh my god, we've hyped up the upgrade so much. We better talk positively around it. This is the whole PR strategy anyway." But, you know, they scored their highest points ever at a race weekend by finishing 4th and 5th. They finished 4th and 5th, I think. one of the previous races but hamilton got the fastest lap of the race so he's you know they've got 23 points uh, i would say mercedes had a decent race they they actually had a very good strategy by splitting the two drivers george russell running really hard and late waiting for something to happen waiting for the rain to come actually 
you know, uh, after having the pit stops, going ahead of Ocon and Sainz only to then end up making that mistake and losing out on a podium position. So all in all, I mean, I would say this was a strategy masterclass, which then got accentuated or no, I would say neutralized by the rain in itself. Because when the rains came in, suddenly everybody who was driving to a strategy had nothing to do and it sort of neutralized every you know everybody's impact because you touched upon Aston Martin and their strategy and I would say full marks to them for trying to do something different each time to try and beat Max Verstappen but we've already spoken about that we need to talk about your best team your best driver Carlos Sainz Ferrari, no. why don't we just get to that? I know you're trying to delay it, saying, oh my God, we can just wait, we can just wait. They finished much lower down the order. But guess what? Charles Leclerc finally finished a race in Monaco. The second time, no? I think he finished one last year yes. as well. It's happening. Last year, yeah. We're, we're yeah. getting there slowly and steadily. We are getting there. One day he'll be on the podium. And one day, I mean, am I, am I dreaming way too much if I say that one day he's going to win this race? Probably I am. But to the point right now, I am, I don't know what to think, Kunal, because at this one stage, I'm thinking, oh, well, it's a little disappointing from Ferrari to mess up the strategy with Carlos Sainz. And they maybe should have called him a couple of laps earlier. That's one thing. But I'm also thinking, why should Carlos Sainz be disappointed at them when he eventually also made that major error at Mirabeau that eventually cost him those couple of seconds that allowed Esteban Ocon to go ahead? I mean, if he's saying that the strategy is something that cost him this weekend, I don't. 100% 100% agree. I mean, certainly to a degree, but it's also him who made the error eventually. So, I know it's very tricky conditions and probably the hardest part in the world to drive a Formula 1 car. But nevertheless, it's a little Carlos Sainzy that when the moment of truth arrives, he makes an error. Well, so does Charles Leclerc. And you very cheekily just said maybe he'll get a podium one day at home. I think he will. I think he will win at home. The question is if that team is going to be Ferrari because the way yeah. things are going, I don't know if he's going to stick around. But again, it's it's just uh, speculation, just conjecture at this point. But all in all, Ferrari had a disastrous weekend, if we may put it as that. The drivers were making errors. The race engineers were making errors. Leclerc had a great lap. You know, he was. I think everybody was disappointed that it was Fernando Alonso challenging Max Verstappen for pole. Esteban Ocon was a great surprise. But the disappointment was where did Leclerc go? Because... This was the circuit where the Ferrari was supposed to be the best in, you know, slow corners and tractions yeah. and exits and, and so on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It should have been them. And it was meant to be them all the way through. It's a little strange how everything dropped off. But I I don't know. I'm so disappointed at the way their race handled was handled this weekend by them. But at this point, if I'm the one being disappointed, maybe I'm the stupid one because my expectations have been a little bit too high. Nevertheless, let's actually move on to one of the most exciting segments of our show. It's time to come up with the stats review. And for that, we've got F1 Stats Crew. Hey folks, it's time to do the stats review of that slightly chaotic Monaco Grand Prix. My name is Sundaram, also known as the F1 Stats Crew. Let's get straight into the numbers. Now, Max Verstappen is breaking records once again. And it takes me back to the time when Lewis Hamilton was doing so, literally in every race in the earlier part of the hybrid era, actually between 2014 and 2021. But it's Verstappen's time to do so because it is the Verstappen era. 
With that win, Verstappen has taken 39 wins with the Red Bull team, making him the most successful driver for Red Bull in Formula 1 history. He's just gone past Sebastian Vettel's tally of 38 wins, which has taken a decade to do so. Verstappen also led all of the laps of the Monaco Grand Prix, which takes him past 2,000 laps led in his Formula 1 career, and he's just the seventh driver to do so. Now, with those 25 points, Max Verstappen has now taken the fourth longest point scoring streak in all of Formula 1. He has only Lewis Hamilton and Kimi Raikkonen ahead of him on that list. But the other thing that he's also done is gone past Fernando Alonso on the all-time point scorers list. Now, if you take a look at the top five of that list, you have Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, now Max Verstappen, then Fernando Alonso and Kimi Raikkonen. And Verstappen is the only driver to have not driven when the previous point system existed. So that's kind of worked in his favor in accumulating all of those points. But talking about Fernando Alonso, at the age of 41, at the age of 41, he's now the oldest driver to take a podium at Monaco in five decades. The last one to do so was Jack Brabham in 1970. So he is really on a dream run. And the other thing that he's done is become the only driver to take a podium at Monaco with four different constructors. He did so with Renault in 2006, McLaren in 2007, Ferrari in 2011 and 2012, and now with the Aston Martin team this year. Let's also talk about Esteban Ocon. What a brilliant drive he had. He's the first Frenchman to stand on the Monaco podium, which was actually a home race for him this year because we don't have Paul Ricard on the calendar. But yes, the first Frenchman to stand on the Monaco podium in 26 years. The last one to actually stand on the Monaco podium was Olivier Panis in that chaotic 1996 Monaco Grand Prix, which only saw three race finishes. Esti Besti has now stood on all steps of the podium, first in Hungary 2021, second at Sakhari 2020, and now third in Monaco 2023. And the last star of today is that the top three finished in the exact same order. Verstappen P1, Fernando Alonso P2, and Esteban Ocon P3. They started in that same order, they finished in that same order, which last happened at the 2021 United States Grand Prix. You don't tend to see that very often. Well, that was the stats review. I hope you folks really enjoyed that one, and I hope you enjoyed the race as well to a certain extent. For more such interesting stats and facts, do follow me on my Instagram and Twitter under the name F1 Stats Guru. I'll see you folks very soon. Amazing, isn't it, Kunal? Fernando Alonso, four different constructors and podiums for all of them at Monaco. This guy is on another level. But I want to talk about a couple of other teams and drivers as well. And before I do that, I really want to talk about the skill level and the challenge of driving here at Monaco when the rain came in. Because... When we saw that camera angle, the visor cam specifically, and the amount of rain coming in and the margin for error between the gaps, this Kunal is peak Formula 1. And that to me was just one of the main reasons why you should watch this sport. It's a perfect advertisement. Some of the best drivers in the world in some of the trickiest cars battling with so little margin for any error. That's, that's such a brilliant way to get anyone hooked on. And some of the best celebrities in the world. There was so much glitz and glamour oh, yeah. uh, that we had a very famous Bollywood celebrity who called qualifying a semi-final. Oh, and then that whole image went viral. And then I'm assuming she called the race a final. But uh, for all of y'all uh, following, that was Karina Kapoor. Uh, her husband actually worked on a Bollywood racing film, which is better not spoken about. And then there were two very hey, famous no. cricketers. There was... That wasn't a bad movie, Kunal. My childhood was based on that movie. It was beautiful. You mean ruined by that movie? Is that what you meant? <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Talking of Monaco, we see of how, you know, there are all these fashion shows and walking the ramps and so on. There was a different kind of walking off the ramp this weekend. There was a parade for the drivers 
where they wanted to show the floor of their car. We saw Lewis Hamilton's floor. We saw the new floor that Mercedes was working on. Then Checo Perez thought, hey, why not show the world how the Red Bull's floor is? So he crashed in qualifying. Now, the disappointing part here, and this is where I guess the strolls have paid money for it, was when Lance Stroll crashed. He was the only retirement of the race, and they recovered his car. We did not get a single image of the underfloor of the Aston Martin. Now, of course, I joke about it each time I say the strolls have paid money. But, you know, it was so interesting that millions of dollars going into hiding all these things, suddenly one crash, and there the crane operator lifts it so high, all the camera people zoom in with their best lenses, and they're like, there we go. We have uncovered all the tricks by just having the drivers crash. Yeah, it's beautiful. And the best headline of the entire weekend that I've seen so far is one on racefans.net where I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, but the headline roughly said, the Red Bull floor is so complicated and curvy that the rivals couldn't quite understand what's going on underneath there. What else do you expect? Really, what what else do you expect? It's just genius from Adrian Newey. And the fact that they were really trying to zoom in and also figure it out, but it's you still can't copy that stuff, can you, Gunal? You really can't, considering how many little... Depends who you ask. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, if you're talking about Aston <laughs> it's Martin. It's like if, if, Laura Ro- if Laura Rossi asks Ortmar, what do you think he'll say? He'll say, yeah, yeah, we're already copying it. We've already got all the images in. We're doing a reverse engineering thing. We're going to have that floor in, in Spain. That's probably what Ortmar would tell Laura Rossi. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. But that is also such a major game that was being played this weekend. Whose flow can you properly capture? And hey... Now they're talking about uh, Otmar. Did you notice Alpine are now ahead of McLaren in the point standing? So the biggest victory for them is right here. But in that whole midfield as well, it was such a problematic affair for everyone, including my favorite Yuki Tsunoda. Did you see what happened in the race, Kunal, where Yuki Tsunoda literally became human and conveyed that the thoughts that every single driver has, but they're just a little bit too afraid to say it out loud on radio. He said, The brakes are shit. And what do you want me to do? crash in the barrier. Every single driver <laughs> must have that thought in their head. But Yuki Tsunoda is the only one who doesn't maintain that filter. And that's why I love him. And that's why my heart pains so much at the end of the weekend that this guy is just the nicest guy trying to help out solving the floods in Imola last week. And then here we are, amazing qualifying on Saturday, comes up in Q3 and then the brakes. Ah. Well, you know what? Lando Norris finished best of the rest and now best of the rest is literally the fifth fastest team mclaren scored double points finish only the second time in the year mclaren by the way are less than half of the points of alpine so despite the whole battle between all of them uh, mclaren are really lagging behind but talking about yuki sonoda before the rains came actually he was the one running i think it was eighth place at that time Right? Yeah, yeah. And that was really impressive. And what happened? He had brake issues. And when the rain came, it just accentuated that, you know, it exaggerated the issues. Brake temps were a challenge. And that's when everything went bust for him. So, Yuki Zonoda, yes, I would have loved to see him perform, you know, with the whole hopes that he's going to be racing alongside Lance Stroll in 2026 in Aston Martin Honda. I don't know. That's what Honda would at least uh, uh, hope for. Yeah, exactly. And another amazing story from this weekend was Christian Owner literally coming out in the media and then saying that, hey, had we known that Honda was actually going to come back so soon, 
we probably wouldn't have invested in Red Bull Technologies. Just giving away how clueless that company is as well. I love Honda deep down, but I don't know. It just feels like a teenager in their first ever relationship. Where one fine day they'll walk up to you and say, "Oh, darling, I love you. You're the one for me." And then they'll eventually go by and say, "Oh no, it's not you. It's me. Something's not right." And then the next day they'll be back saying, "I love you." It's a little silly how it all goes about. But I also want to talk about something even sillier, and that Kunal is the Haas drivers, and they were absolutely going for it. I mean, Nico Hulkenberg was sending in so many great moves, and Kevin Magnussen literally sent two absolutely "fuck it, I'm going to do this" kind of dives on Logan Sargent in the first 17 laps. This is brilliant racing. I mean, everyone was sending it down the inside of Logan Sargent, and all it proves to me is if one drive was bad enough. Monaco can produce so many great overtakes. This was great racing today. <laughs> yeah, Logan Sargent, poor guy. I think he lost three or five positions in a span in a span of a couple of laps. But I think what I really loved was, despite the cars being so wide and heavy and long and all of that, uh, we've already highlighted how the drivers behaved themselves so well in the whole treacherous part that. almost everybody was waiting for a safety car but nobody got a safety car because they were like no i'm waiting for a safety car so i will not call it out and the other one was like but hey i'm also waiting for a safety car so i will not be the reason why the safety car comes out and then everybody was waiting for the other and the safety car didn't eventually come out so why am i saying that is because the haas drivers showed that if you needed to overtake if you needed to bang wheels and find your way through you could do it and they did that and in in many ways i liked that about monaco because everybody thought it's going to be a procession you'll just drive around but there were people who wanted to overtake they were like i will bang wheels if i have to but i will make a move and we saw a few fun moves you know it was it was like a boxing match on track and with formula 1 cars it was phenomenal and that's why i love haas so much it's just kawabunga craziness madness all the way through But well, before we end this episode, I really want to take out a second to talk about the challenge of the Monaco GP because they did this while being in such a tricky track, and then the treacherous conditions coming in. I the more I think about it, Kunal, the more I am in awe of these drivers for what they've achieved, especially Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso for just the kind of amazing driving that they've put through, and Max especially because the gap to Alonso just kept on increasing. phenomenal driver skill unbelievable especially when his medium compound tires were getting chewed out and he literally had no grip left at all so hats off to him and we hope that we get to see just as good driving and just as good racing in fact next weekend as well because if you are in mumbai you get to join us for our spanish gp screening at dadar social on sunday it's going to be good fun f1 stats guru and myself are going to be there we're going to have a pre-race interaction a special formula 1 quiz and a fun post race interaction where we can just talk about the race formula 1 in general and also have a really fun time over some food and drinks so for more information on that you should check out the link in the episode description for how you can join us as well and we'd be very very glad to welcome you along but all in all canal great weekend i think far better than what i'd imagine it to be this thursday yeah i have two stats that i've you know i'm going to read out one is of course a hard break for you before we end it ferrari equal their lowest point score from a race weekend in monaco in sure. bahrain they are 12 points in monaco they are 12 points i had to do that to you but for all the nick de fries fans who are waiting for him to score a point nick de fries was 20th and last before monaco he scored 12th his best 
finish of the season. And now he has actually jumped Logan Sargent and he's taken 19th place. So those two drivers are yet to score a point this season, but they're already engaged in a battle where, you know, it's like Max Verstappen and, you know, Checo Perez are going, you know, of course, I, yeah, Max has just been first throughout. So he's been unchallenged. But imagine there is a battle for a driver not wanting to finish 20th. <laughs> and that's between the two rookies this season. It's amazing. And I think they're also going to be in the fight for fighting for P21 as well. And Nicholas Latifi, I just hope he comes back. And then we have him once again finishing 21st in a 20-driver championship. But maybe I'm dreaming a bit too much (laughs) right now. But folks, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, thank you. Thank you for coming to this stage. And thank you for subscribing to our podcast as well. And by the way, if you really love this, you can also send us your feedback and what you thought about the race as well by clicking on the feedback section down below on Spotify especially. Or if you don't see that option on your platform, you can reach out to us on social media anyway. But thank you for listening. We hope you had a fun time this weekend because we surely did. We'll be back for the Spanish GP preview. Take care.